0: Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness to pray and to rest before he began his public ministry. This year during Lent, join Pastor Hook to pray and rest as we learn about our calling to be a life-changing connection to Christ in our world. This is episode 14 of our study, Life-Changing Connection, and it is based upon our vision of Christ Lutheran Veil, which is uh, be a life-changing connection to Christ in our world. So, uh, this is episode 14, so we're almost a third of the way through. We have um, 40 days in Lent, so episode 13.3 would be uh, a third of the way through. So we're just about a third of the way through. and um, So we're, uh, we're continuing in our study, and I would look, like to uh, just read to you again uh, from yesterday. This is Paul's structure. If you'll remember, the way Jesus discipled was he called 12 guys around him, spent three years with them, and then the early church discipled by just meeting together and living life together. But when Paul went out on his missionary journeys, he actually created organizations called congregations or churches and created structure in those congregations where people could leverage their resources together to do a better job of discipling. And so this is what Paul said in Ephesians 4. This is how he created a structure, or saw a stratification of gifts in the church. He says, this is Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 13. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So basically, when Paul looked at the giftings in the church, he said, listen, some of you are apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. And yesterday, we did go through those classifications. The, the apostles was not limited to just the, the 12 or, the, or the, the 12 plus Paul the The word apostle means going out and sending. Prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Paul was writing this to the church in Ephesus, saying, "These are the gifts that you have. You have some of the people that are apostles, some who are some of the people who who um, are apostolic. Maybe that's a better word. Some of you, some of you are prophetic, some of you are evangelistic, some of you are pastoral, some of you like to teach." Or have the gift of teaching. And so Paul said all these gifts together kind of help create the body of Christ. To grow the body of Christ. And um, the goal of course is to be a fully formed loving disciple of Jesus. And in our congregation we've used this image of a tree. And um, on the right you can see. Uh, If you're listening, it's it's an image of a tree that has roots underneath the surface and those roots are faith, that the bigger the root system, the bigger the faith, then the larger the tree can be supported by that root system. And so the goal is to grow a person's faith so that the roots grow stronger, so that the tree gets bigger, so it can bear more fruit. And so underneath the surface, you have the roots, above the surface, you have the tree, on the tree are branches, and on the branches are the fruits that get um, distributed to the world around us. That the goal is to be a big, strong, healthy, a big, strong, healthy tree. That's basically uh, what what the goal is. And the early church looked at it this way. Also, they had um, they said if somebody was new to the faith. They were a neophyte, and neo means new, and phytus means plant. So in the early church, they talked in terms of a tree also. But it's, it's not just the early church that talked about that too. Um, you can talk about this image of a tree being a disciple even as back as the Psalms. Here's one of the Psalms that talks about it. This is Psalm 1, the very, very first psalm. Which, beginning in verse 1 of Psalm 1, it says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in the step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sits in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on His law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by the streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers." So you get this just great image of a person that's blessed, the one that that is in step with the Lord and not in step with the wicked. And that person meditates on God's law day and night. His delight is in the Lord. That That idea of being in the presence of the creator of the universe and having this relationship with God that fills you up, that person is like, a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season. So, even in Psalm 1, you have this image of a strong tree whose roots are, are deeply being quenched by the fact that the streams of water, which is the, the water that, that, for me, the waters of baptism, the water that Jesus gave at the well, you know, when you drink from my water, you will never thirst again. That if you are if you are a fortunate tree to be planted in, by a by a stream of water where you can be filled and you can grow and just that whole idea of being connected with with Jesus makes you strong and your root system strong and it helps you bear fruit into the world around you. That person, um, the leaf does not wither and whatever they do, prospers. Um, I'm not talking about a material prospering here. What they're talking about here is just your life prospers. You you have a, a strong, healthy tree that just does what you're called to do, which is to love the world around you. And this is the image that, for me, this is the image of what God wanted us to be in the Garden of Eden, is trees planted by the water in the garden where every need was taken care of. And all we had to do was just, you know, do the things that God called us to do. And, um, so that's in the Psalms, but it's also in the, in the New Testament, in John 15, where Jesus says, remain in me, and as I also remain in you, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine, neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit apart from me. You can do nothing. So you get this other image that Jesus talks about which is the same thing it's a it's a plant it's a it's a vine grafted into the the branches or grafted into the vine and when you are connected to Christ you're going to bear much fruit and you are going to continue to grow because you're grafted into Jesus and that so the goal of all of this again is to Make a fully formed disciple of Jesus. And we have this image of the tree to do that. And the early church had the image of the tree. Uh, The Old Testament has the image of the tree. Um, Jesus had the image of the tree. I mean, this whole idea of growing like a a tree or a plant and that that God directs your growth is just, uh, for me, a very, very powerful image. Because as I walk in nature, I see... Lots of trees where the the ground around them is unstable, the, the root system is exposed, uh, where maybe a tree has been struck by lightning and it loses one of the branches or whatever. And yet because they're still connected to Christ in the soil next to the water, they continue to grow, even though they've experienced incredible damage in their life. They're still able to they're still able to bear fruit. And that really, truly, for me, is the image of what it is that we're called to do, is to help people build strong, healthy roots so when the turmoil and the stress and the trials of life hit, that they're not destroyed, but the root system actually gets stronger, they bear sweeter fruit, um, that is that is the goal. And that is what I, I believe our church is called to do. So, and how does how do we do that? Well, we also have another graphic that we've talked about and this is called our discipleship life cycle. Uh, if you're listening on uh, uh, audio and you can't really see it, I'll try to describe it to you. It's basically four parts and it's very similar to the, the vegetative life cycle that you see in plants since we're talking about plants, but this is for disciples where somehow God has planted himself in you. Uh, I believe this happens at baptism, that, that God comes in, the Holy Spirit comes into your life. God's, God's holy word comes into your life. God comes into your life. So a seed is planted in your life. And that seed then has to sprout and come out through the surface. And this is another image. So the first image is that of a plant. The next image is that of a sprout which is that of um, now the the seed has germinated, the sprout has broken through the soil, and now a tremendous amount of care needs to be taken in that sprout so that it doesn't wither away. Uh, And if if that sprout is, is in healthy soil, then we as the church are called to help that sprout grow where it continues to grow in a protected environment to where it can get strong. Uh, the image I have of this is when we first moved into my house, we had this little uh, southern oak tree, and it had these two poles on the southern oak oak tree. And when the oak tree grew and grew and grew, pretty soon the base of that oak tree was bigger than the poles that were holding it up. So I pulled the poles out, and that oak tree has continued to grow and bear acorns and that sort of thing. And so. You know, at some point, early on, you are surrounded by Christians that are helping you grow, and then at some point, you're on your own, and you, but you continue to grow, and you continue to bear fruit, and then in the fruit is planting. And so the second image is just that of growing. Your, your root system is growing. The tree trunk is growing, and you will do this for the rest of your life. Until God calls you home, you will continue to grow. And then the the fourth image is that of the branch with the fruit on the branch that's bearing fruit. And then this is a circle, so then it comes back around to the plant, which is then inside the fruit are the seeds of of God that get planted into people's lives, the seeds of faith, and this whole cycle goes over and over and over again. So for, for the church... The question then becomes, where where does this happen? Like, how do we plant? How do we sprout? How do we grow? How do we encourage the bearing of fruit and then in that fruit plant some more? And um, most of this work is done by the power of the Holy Spirit. But I, if you look at the life of Jesus and how he did it, I mean, obviously, he planted the seed by calling Peter. He said, "Peter, come follow me," with his brother Andrew, and so Peter got out of the boat and followed Jesus. That was a seed that was planted in Peter's life, and so Peter followed Jesus for two years, and so Jesus uh, taught Peter and the rest of the disciples. He he nurtured them. He protected them against the the you know the things of the world. If there was anything that was going to come and threaten his disciples, Jesus stood in front of him and said, no, uh, I'm protecting you. I mean, this was a very uh, organic system that Jesus was helping to get the tree to the point where you could remove those poles. And Jesus did that by ascending into heaven and leaving the disciples by themselves. If the disciples were still, if Jesus were still around, then the disciples would never have grown to the depth and the strength that they needed to grow to be able to have the church be the most powerful force on earth today. And so the it um, Jesus had to basically ascend into heaven, take off those poles off the root or off the trunk system so that the tree could continue to grow by itself without Jesus they're protecting the disciples. And so in our, in our world, then we need to create an environment where we can protectively grow people from the point that the seeds of faith are planted in their life until the point where those poles are removed and now they're on their own. They'll never, they'll never be completely on their own. It, this is almost like another image of this would be like a driver's license where you teach people, right? The And it's a two-part thing. You teach people the laws of the road. So that's one part. But then you also have to get them in a car driving so that they kind of learn how to do this stuff. And you get them to the point where they're not, you know, running into people and creating accidents and that sort of thing. It usually takes about six months, right? To get them through all the teaching and then to you know, have them drive enough to where they feel comfortable. And then you pull the poles out of the ground and then you set them free and you give them a car and you say, okay, but they're not the great world's greatest driver from the moment that they get their driver's license. No, they will continue to improve their driving abilities for the vast majority of their life um, because they've got the experience of what it, what it means to be driving and they've seen all sorts of different conditions. Um, What's interesting is that uh, when I was about 17 years old, I was driving along a road in Phoenix called Van Buren Road, and I was driving a truck, and the person who had driven the truck before me, this was a company truck, the, the company I was working for, and the person who had driven the truck before me did not Uh, had a flat tire, put the new tire on, put the spare on, but did not tighten the lug nuts very tight. And so as I'm driving down this street, probably about six or seven o'clock at night, it was dark. The tire came off the car and started rolling down the street. And I, you know, kind of had to figure out how to maintain control of the car and get it off to the side of the road. And then I had to go find the tire and bring it back. I mean, it was quite an ordeal but when I was 20 or 21, I was also driving a larger truck, and I was driving along I-8, um, right out, uh, right outside of um, I can't remember where I was, but it was real close to the California border, and um, the the axle snapped and the tr- and the tire came off the car. And this time I was going 70 miles an hour down the road on the interstate and trying to maintain control of a car when your left rear tire comes off is not the easiest thing to do, but I had done it before. And so my experience taught me kind of how to maintain control of the car. Um, The sheriff came or the Department of Public DPS came and they said, we cannot believe you survived this accident. Most people don't survive something like this, and, uh, but it was because I had actually that kind of experience, that it wasn't something that was going to kill me. So these are the things that we want to teach Christians, are things you know, that are not going to destroy you. We're, we want the, the things that happen to you in life that we, it cannot destroy you. Uh, We want you to get through them. Christ wants you to get through them. He wants you to continue to grow through them. And so you'll grow throughout the rest of your life. And then, of course, the whole purpose of Christ leaving his church on this earth is to bear fruit. So we are to bear fruit. And we bear fruit by loving our neighbor, loving God. And that also means planting new seeds. So there's many, many, many ways we can bear fruit. It's not just plant, you know, inside the fruit is seeds, which it is, but it's just also helping other people grow in their faith. It's, it's, it's bearing fruit and also loving the world around them. And we see this, even we talked about the early church and how when they came together, they came together for the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, prayer, and serving the community. Well, that serving the community is the bearing of fruit. So this all kind of ties together in that this whole idea of this discipleship life cycle. Um, and so, but the, the critical part is probably the most, the most challenging part and the critical part, I mean, it's all challenging, but, but teaching at this level where, where you have a new Christian, a neophyte, a new plant that, uh, is being supported by the church to grow. Like, where does that happen? So Jesus did it within his discipleship group. He did it for three years. Paul came in and he developed structure and organization and he taught for a while when he was in a church mission plant and then he left, Uh, you know, he took the, he took the poles off and then he left. And then when he heard problems, he was still pastoral and responded to the problems that were happening in those churches that he planted. So Paul never stopped kind of helping them grow in their faith, you know, as long as those churches were alive and as long as Paul was alive, he was still there helping them grow in their faith. Um, so that that is basically that is basically what we call the discipleship life cycle. And so another question that might arise is: so what is, what is it that one teaches at each of the stages of this discipleship life cycle? And I think probably the early stage, the the like that, that sprouts, that sprout stage, that second stage. What is it that people need to know to grow in their faith, to get rooted and established and with, you know, the poles there so that when the poles come off, they're okay. And of course, Jesus never really uh, said. Um, We know that in the early church, probably the first thing that they taught were just the stories of Jesus, right? If you go into the gospels, and look at the life of Jesus from four different viewpoints, those stories are words that can help people be established in their their faith. And so uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that is a great place to start to teach people the the things they need to learn in their faith. Um, In the early church, remember, they didn't have written documents at that point. It was way too expensive. And so most of these stories of Jesus were verbal stories that were taught by the disciples to to their students. And the early, uh, eventually the disciples and others wrote these down as the gospels, but before they were written down for the first, I don't know, maybe a hundred years or so, um, they were basically just the, the accounts of Jesus the parables of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount, the teaching of Jesus, the things he did. Because you'll have to remember that the early church looked at the life of Jesus as not just a series of teachings, but as a way of life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so this is this whole idea of discipleship is actually a way of life. Um, so the, the Gospels is a great way to teach that. Um, if they had it available... They might go into the Old Testament and look at the whole idea of the the Torah, which is the first five books of the of the Gospel, um, and then the the prophets and the Psalms and the other writings. The these things would have also been taught because God is in the Old Testament. Jesus is in the Old Testament, and so kind of seeing Jesus in the Old Testament and how Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies, that would have also been part of the teaching also, particularly to a Jewish congregation. If you're a Jewish congregation, you want to see Jesus as the completion of the Messiah. But Paul, going out and starting churches, he was going in areas that were more Greek and Roman in culture. And so they weren't steeped in the Old Testament. So while Paul might have talked about Old Testament stuff. Paul really kind of tied into their culture and taught based upon what their culture, how that culture viewed the world, and got permission from Acts in Acts 15. He actually came back to Jerusalem. And he says, I want to teach all this stuff to the Gentiles who are out there that don't are not steeped in the Old Testament. And can I bring the message of Jesus to the Gentiles? And they said, absolutely, bring the message of Jesus to the Gentiles. So Paul is starting from a different viewpoint. Even though Paul was a great Jew himself, when he was going into places that had no uh, Jewish influence, he taught in a totally different way. That's how he taught. But he did teach because the gospel isn't just limited to the Jews. It's limited to every culture around the world. And even today, all the cultures around the world, all the age groups around the world, all the different people in the world, the gospel speaks to all of them. Now, we historically um, have taught, uh, we historically teach the basics of the faith through the family. This is the way that the church has always taught. If you'll remember, Jesus gathered twelve people around them and taught this, this the things about the faith, and so mainline Protestant church that's been around for you know since the time of Luther, but and even before for for two thousand years, the vast majority of discipleship has been done in the family, and that basically gets its root from the Old Testament, where you would have a head of household, and he would go to the synagogue, he would learn teachings, and he would come back to the household and he would teach the members of the household, whoever they are, they could be servants, they could be kids, they could be, you know, whoever's in that household. And there's a Greek word for that called the oikos that, that everybody in your compound, I guess you could say, in your household gets taught from this leader of this household. Um, And so they go and learn and then they come back and teach the household. And that is a very, very, very wonderful way to teach because First of all, they're living life together, just like Jesus lived life together with his disciples. If the head of the household is there daily teaching, and particularly, you know, a lot of times it was an agricultural community, and so they'd go out and they'd farm together, or they would ranch together, or they raise livestock together. And in the midst of all that, for however long the child was with, you know, the, let's say the dad is the head of the household, Then as things happened, you know, they might have a cow that was attacked by a mountain lion, and and so that might prompt the dad to, to just sit down and teach a biblical story about that and a life lesson from that. And this was done for years and years and years and years. And it has only been in the last, pretty much since we became more of an industrial society, where education of the Christian education of our kids has kind of been bifurcated and taken out of the family and done more in other areas. For example, I would say over the last 150 years then, well, and before I get there, so when Luther wrote his small catechism, he did say in the small catechism, this catechism is for the head of the household to teach the family. So Luther felt like these teachings should the best person in that person's life was to, is the is the head of the household to teach and so that's how it was done but once we as a western culture became industrialized and started creating different education models most of them coming out of prussia it's called the prussian education model we created schools We created um, formalized training where we created curriculums and training and all this sort of thing. And we kind of professionalized the whole idea of teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to people, which is great. It's very powerful. The curriculums are wonderful. Everything's great, except that you have to remember that the teaching of the faith is not just head knowledge, right? It's not just picking up the Motor Vehicle Division book and mastering, you know, getting an A plus or 40 out of 40 on the test that you take before you start taking your driver's license, you get your permit. No, there's this whole other side of education, which is living the things that you're supposed to be living. And we really, really see this um, in the Didache. There was this book called The Teaching of the Disciples, The Teaching of the Apostles, It's called the Didache, and it's in Greek, and it was what the early church used as a catechism, but it's not like Luther's catechism. Everything that Luther talked about, the six principal chief parts of Luther's catechism, you can kind of find that in the Didache, but there's also other stuff in the Didache that talks about how following Jesus is a way of life. It's a way of peace. It's a way of forgiving your neighbor. I mean, it's And forgiving your neighbor is one thing to say, forgive your neighbor, but it's a whole other thing when you've been wronged and now you have to forgive your neighbor and you know the teachings, but now you have to, in faith, step out and actually forgive your neighbor. And that's hard. And so you need somebody walking along beside you. And it could be a parent. It could be the head of the household that comes to you. My dad actually came to me once and said, you need to forgive somebody. And um, and we had this long discussion because I didn't want to forgive the person he told me to forgive. And, um, but he kind of cajoled me, forced me. I mean, you can't force somebody to forgive, but he kind of, as much as he could, because I was probably 18 or 19 at the time, maybe 17 or 18 at the time, and um, probably 17 or 18 at the time. And, um, and so that was a hard, hard thing for me to do. And so I needed my father not just to be a teacher but to be pastoral because if you're a head of a household, you're also pastoral to say, this is the teaching, but now you need to apply this teaching in your life. And I know it's hard, but I'm gonna walk beside you and we're gonna get this done together. And when that happens, then your faith is gonna grow. And so um, this is also very, very well done in a household. And so the the vast majority of Christian history, these teachings, happened in the household. Now you have to remember in the first century, when Jesus, you know, first came on the scene and taught his disciples and they were creating the structures, it couldn't have been done in the household because the head of the households were not steeped in the, into, they weren't steeped into the teachings of Jesus and weren't mature enough to teach the teachings of Jesus. And so, so it was a totally different education system. Now, where this ties in, and I'll just close with this, is in the United States today, we do have some households that are incredibly strong, rich, Christian households that have, you know, they've focused their whole entire household around the teachings of Jesus. And so these kids are growing up steeped in the teachings of Jesus. They go to church They hear the message, they go to Sunday school, they hear the message, all these things, and it all works together. Where it does fall down is if there's a household that maybe didn't, wasn't taught these things when they were, you know, they they just weren't taught. they, They were households, but they weren't taught necessarily the teachings of Jesus. Instead, they were taught something totally different from the teachings of Jesus. In those cases, now it is up to, us as a Christian community to figure out how, to, how do we teach, how, what can we teach these households so that they can teach their children and so that they can teach the parents so that they know what to teach the children. And that is something that we as a Protestant, mainline Protestant denomination have not really wrestled with ever because we've been so strong on this whole idea of teaching, it happens in the household. So that's, that's one thing. And the second thing is, there's lots of people out there that are, you know that could come to faith that don't even come from a from a Christian household. I mean, so you're you're now have to teach something totally different, that's more intensive teaching, one-on-one discipleship to teach these people the ways of Jesus, and all of these all of these teachings, we as a church need to wrestle with and figure out what is the best way to do this. Like we need, we need to figure out, okay, this is a Christian household and they're steeped in Jesus. How do, we, how do we help them grow their faith? This is a non-Christian household or a baby Christian household. How do we, how do we deal with that? And this is, a, this is a person who just has no understanding. They're starting from ground zero. The, the seed has just been planted in their life and they don't have a support system around them. So how do we create a support system around them so that they can grow in their faith? And this requires change in the way we've done things in the past so that we can be more effective because the goal is to make disciples. The goal isn't necessarily to always look to the way we did it in the past because the way we did in the past may not, it may work for some people very, very well. But it, there may be a vast majority of people that it doesn't work very well for. And because Christ has called us to make disciples of all nations, of all people, whoever walks in our door, we need to have a comprehensive discipleship program that meets all of their needs. So I think um, I've went a little bit long today, so I'm going to go ahead and close us in prayer. Dear Jesus, we pray for our congregation as we struggle in this 40 days of Lent, to find your calling for how you've called us to teach and to grow disciples, because that's what you've called us to do. In your name we pray, amen.